As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And in the studio today, it is Gregor Robertson, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. Hello, everyone. How are you all? Hello. Very well, thank you. Yeah, you're all good. You're recovered from your trip to Milan. Yes, lots of sleep in the last few days. Fabulous, Gregor. Oh, Allison. it sounds yeah. so, <laughs> so hard. Know, yeah, I've gone to Milan, too. come back. It reminds it. me of, if anyone's seen Inside Number 9, the one about the referees, and one of the, the fourth official keeps saying, oh, it's not like the San Siro. When I was in... <laughs> When I was in the San Siro, they gave you sandwiches. <laughs> Did they give you sandwiches? They gave you Prosecco. <gasps> Did they? Prosecco before the game. Oh, I thought I could, really, I really could nice tell there was something up with your copy. It was good. And maybe a bit of limoncello at the end. Oh, <laughs> Very nice. That would have been nice. Yeah. divine. <laughs> oh, you've come a long way, haven't you? From <laughs> Chesterfield <laughs> and Northampton. <laughs> okay, coming up, we're going to look ahead to a crucial weekend in the race for the top four. Discuss Ben Gibson's bizarre situation at Burnley and ask... Is it okay for a player to force his way out of the club? Now, Bournemouth have been left stunned by the Premier League's decision to back referee John Moss after midfielder Dan Gosling claimed he'd mocked the club's league position. It comes after the audio from Moss's microphone feed was studied following last Sunday's 2-1 defeat at Sheffield United. Interestingly, the FA will not also be charging Gosling, who is being fully supported by his club, for his comments. His alleged remarks make incredible reading, with Gosling claiming Moss angered players by saying... I'm not the reason you are in relegation trouble. You are. You're still in the relegation zone. You're having one and your team's having one. So, Gregor, let's ask you first of all, is this acceptable behaviour, do you think, from, from a referee? You might be expecting me to defend the player's interests here as I normally do, yes. but absolutely, this is run-of-the-mill stuff, really, uh-huh. I think. And I need to be careful what I say about uh, Dan Gosling here because my fiance is actually friends with his wife and went to his wedding in the summer. Ooh. So. Good declaration in yeah. there, really. Are they having Prosecco? Are they having Prosecco? Are they having champagne? You didn't get an invite, though. You didn't say you got an invite to the wedding. No, 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 I was busy. I was busy. (laughs) Uh, He needs to get a grip, really. I mean, Mm. with the abuse that referees take, um, and in this case as well, it's it's clear that something's been said to John Moss. And he's he's responded, and and I've heard much worse on on a pitch before. Mm. Uh, Alison, qualified referee. Do you think John Moss has overstepped <laughs> the mark in any way? Oh, if, if sarcasm is an offence, I'm, I'm heading to jail for 20 years, <laughs> I reckon. I mean, ridiculous, isn't it? I'm, I completely agree with Gregor. It's, there is a time and a place to complain if, if there'd been some actual hurtful abuse. If John Moss has suddenly decided to become, I don't know, a raging racist or accusing people of political views they don't hold and I mean it's not that serious if he's accused of you know it sounds like it was a case of oh ref you know the the referees are costing us this season he has two choices he can book him for implying that he's um, a bent referee or he can just try and keep the game going by giving it back a little bit and actually that is what you're supposed to do you're supposed to do everything you can as the referee to keep the game flowing Mm -hmm. and how you do that will uh, depend on each match. Each match has its own personality, if you like. And if it's one where the player is in a whingy mood, then as a referee, you have to try and counter that. Because it will, if you let it go, it will just escalate to bookable offences. So 
I'm not really entirely sure why Bournemouth have become so high horsey about it. Mm. But Gosling's asked for an apology. What yes. what do you have what does he have to gain from an apology? What does he suddenly feel kind of much more comfortable and uh, oh, I feel much better now that he said sorry, but what what is he possibly thinking there? What does he want what has he got to gain from when, an apology? Uh, as, again, Alison, I'll ask you this as, as, a, as a referee in the room. If you hear a player has, has come, out, come out and said what he's had to say, Dan Gosling, and you're a referee going to referee a match that he's involved in, does it make you think differently about him? Well, you again, you, you're not, you're not, not even supposed, supposed to. to pretend that you don't know what you know. Mm. Um, referees do prepare for the game by looking at uh, pitch atmosphere formation that the teams will use you you need to prepare as a referee as if you are an opposition manager but you're opposing both teams if you see what mm-hmm. i mean you need to know how they set up because down the line it makes it easier for you to decide if an offense has been committed or where the foul was and what was going on you know why the defender was where he was when he shouldn't have been where he was there oh, that's it because they often play underlapping fullbacks i know why the defender was there you need to you need to know what's going on and you also need to know who's playing because you you will have built up a bank of knowledge about the players who think they're going to gain an edge by being behaving in a certain way. There are players who, who know how to foul just within the limits a number of times. And, and the referees are not stupid. They do know who those players are. And they're supposed they're not supposed to pretend they don't know them. They're supposed to say, Yes, I know that's what they do. I know that I know that I know they do that's their style of play, and you absorb all that information. And the point isn't to try and get retribution or punish those players. It is ultimately to make sure the game flows. So you might intervene early to let a player know that you know what he's doing or trying to do. Mm. So he, I wouldn't say John Moss ought to pretend this incident hasn't happened the next time he comes up where John, um, Gosling's on the field. But it, in a way, he, you know... <sighs> That these are two grown-ups, and and if Gosling's got anything about him at all, he will have reflected on. I think most how most people in football are not saying that Gosling has a point here. They're saying you, you, you're being a bit precious, mate. Mm. He's going to get hammered. He's, he's going to get he, hammered he, he by teammates, he, he could, opponents, away fans. He could preempt that by shaking <clears throat> shaking John Moss's hand the next time he's the referee and saying, "Don't know why I got a bit weird about that. I hope, I hope the game's great, ref." But it's interesting you say that about, you know, he's going to get mocked by his own teammates. But Bournemouth, Bournemouth themselves wanted to pursue this matter a little bit further. But I don't know what, what their alternative was. How could they? They couldn't really do anything but support their player, I don't think. It's, distra- it's, just, it's slightly distraction tactics, isn't mm. it, by Bournemouth and Dan Gosling, given the predicament they're in. Yeah. But I do, I do think there's something interesting. I, when, I first, when I first heard this story and sat on the editing desk, I was like, oh, this is brilliant. This is great fun. Great effort, John. <laughs> Love it. Superb. <laughs> And I was thinking about it later and, you know, we live in this world and not wanting to get into politics and Brexit and stuff, but the choice of language you use, and I've got nothing wrong with John Moss having a go back, but there's a big difference to me between saying, oh, wind your neck in, Dan, and going, you're having one. Because you're having one winds him up and is like having a go back at him. And to me, that's, you know, Gregor, if you're... You are provoked, that's fair, you've got a point, but I, I think the chances are, the likelihood is... Right, even but something. then that's like an escalation thing, isn't it? It's tit for tat. You know, no, but if you, that's tit for tat, that's fine. If you're playing against a right winger and he, you know, nutmegs you and he says, "I'll oh, see you later, mate," that's fine because you're in competition against each other. The language Moss has used is creating, to me, creates a kind of competition between him and Gosling. There's some kind of like 
row, you know, escalation of tension by saying you're having one, your team's rubbish, you're going to get relegated. So are you saying he should what remain impartial, shouldn't get involved well, just, in anything? Well, just that his choice of response. I've got no problem with him responding. And I think what Alison said is fascinating about knowing the players. Mm. But it's the choice of words used and the choice of language in terms of inciting a player. You know, I'm being a little bit extreme here, but Dan, he, John Moss noises Dan Gosling up to the point where he then flies into a tackle. He's not going to fly into a tackle on John Moss. He's going to crunch someone else because he's been wound up by the referee. Is there not a little bit where the referee has to, he can respond, but the choice of words that he uses. And it works the same way to me as well with being matey with players. There's being like, oh, you know, you know, people pretend Mike Dean celebrates goals and all that kind of stuff. But you see sometimes with the top sides, you know, they're patting them on the back and they're smiling, they're grinning. And I think it goes too far either way. And there's just something about what he said that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. But he's a, he's an, he's, an experienced long-term referee, I suspect he says things like that all the time and it's just a bit unusual that one player's decided he doesn't like the sarcasm. Oh, I, I, I find that fascinating and I do, but I would say that if that then happens all the time, that to me is a little bit strange that a referee would be, I mean, and Gregor, you can give me more insight on this. You, you've done me, you've had referees say, God, I hope your manager hooks you in a minute because you are having a shocker. No, I mean, that, I don't think he's gone that far. But that's either. what he's saying. He's saying he's you're having one, your team's having one. You're fighting, you're scrapping at the bottom of the Premier League. You know, your manager's under pressure. That's fine. You're getting it from the away fans or the home fans. You're getting it from your opposition players. And then you're taking it from the yeah, ref as well. None of that matters. Like, none of that matters. All those things you said matter for nothing. He said, that he's clearly said to him something like, you're going to get us relegated. And he's responded by saying, "No, I've got nothing to do with the fact that you're in the relegation zone." It's, he's not. He's not said that without kind of provocation. I know, but that's so what I mean. I that, so there's an escalation level, isn't there? Well, so would, that, you, would you rather he just booked him then? That's how you stop the escalation. Is you oh, just yeah, book him? Yeah, fine. And but then you I, end up sending I, him off for. But I would actually. That's a whole other argument. That is a whole other argument. But I do think that the is that there not a responsibility of the referee to stay. A, li- a little bit more neutral than you're having one and your team is going to get No, I don't, because world, if you accept that, true, if you're true. the referee and you accept that comment, we're, go- we're, going, we're going to be relegated because of you, ref. It's all you, you officials, you're just rubbish, especially when we're playing, which is the gist of what was being said to him. If you don't respond to that, what you are effectively admitting, yeah, we're not very good. Bournemouth are going down because we're refereeing really badly. You've got to, you've got no, to, I, can, you've I got agree to, you can respond. I hand. absolutely agree you can respond. I think his choice of words is what I'm getting at. And I think equally, you know, if you then heard about referees saying to, to Dan Gosling, unbelievable goal last week, Dan, brilliant. Love the way you beat the man and bent it in the top right corner. That uh, would be weird as well. That like, doesn't matter. I don't think that should... It's not gonna, why is that going to affect his decisions on the pitch? That's the ultimate... That's what's most important. If I say to a referee, uh, I have said to a referee, you're having one, they'd always go, ah, Robbo, Robbo, you better looking closer to home, son, something like that, you know. It's, if it's, as long as it's like a tit-for-tat exchange and it's not unprovoked from the referee, which would be unprofessional, then it's part of the game. It's happened for years and it will continue to. Unless... What's the worst thing you've said to a referee? What's the worst thing a referee said to you? I don't, I don't know what the worst thing a referee... Just something like that. Nothing really like extreme in kind of belittling just if I've ever said something which was to be honest rare because I think I always thought it was a waste of time there's players who would make a point almost every week of trying to undermine the referee and think it would alter the, his decision making and it was a tactic and very rarely I thought it worked so yeah. I thought it was pointless and 
So very rarely I got into these arguments. If I ever swore at referee as well, the golden rule was you could say F off, but never say F you. Because if if it's a personal directed insult at them, then you're in dangerous territory. You could be getting yellow card, red card. So I didn't really get involved with it too much, to be honest. Well, you're smarter than Dan Gosling then. (laughs) Well, this also leads to a further debate about whether or not referees should have their microphone live, let's say. Obviously, we know this incident was caught on the microphone feed. However, we know that it's currently not available for public broadcast, as it is in sports like rugby. But is that something we want to see in the game and hear the decisions that have been made, hear these sorts of conversations? Before we get into it, um, let's have a little listen into an exchange. Uh, In 1989, when referee David Ellery was mic'd up for a Division 1 game between Millwall and Arsenal, no one actually told Tony Adams that, though. Yeah, uh, Tony Adams obviously wasn't happy with something in that game. Um, as I was saying, they are already you know, mic'd up. We know that, but they're not live. So we can't hear the exchanges that are taking place. We can't hear those decisions that are being made. We do know that it is available in rugby. Is that something we'd like to see in football? Tom? Not if not if John Moss is going to carry on mugging players <laughs> off. <laughs> because Because I think it's really interesting with football if you compare it to, say, other sports with football there is this kind of certain referees have a kind of cult following you know Mike Dean you know you see it whenever there's a decision made he's a massive presence on social media oh this is Mike Dean's world we're just living in it Hmm. all that kind of stuff (laughs) and I think if the kind of dialogue and the exchanges that Gregor and Alison wrongly think are okay (laughs) keep keep continue to happen Having the referee mic'd up would just make it even worse because, I mean, in my opinion, we've already got too many distractions from the actual football. You'd then have people watching it as if it was like, you know, some kind of sitcom. Oh, Dino's told that gag again, (laughs) you know. Whereas if you were going to have a kind of a clarity of argument, you know, around the decisions, like you see in rugby, you know, okay, he's mic'd up, right, I want to check the ball's over the line, I want to check if there was a knock-on. That's the only chat with the odd little joke thrown in here and there. I mean, but if if the conversations are as Gregor says they are, having them mic'd up would be a nightmare in my book. <laughs> uh, Alison, is it something you would want? No, no, I agree I agree with Tom. Also, I'm, I'm, I've just had it now with comparing football and rugby. They're completely different course, sports. Yeah. And the way the referee operates in rugby, it's perfect. It's perfect for the mic because of the, the way the game functions football is relentless and the conversation has to be also relentless so you would you would stop seeing the football all you'd hear is this strange it would and it would sound peculiar it's not in rugby it's it's a very considered polite explanation of things that no one else knows you know rugby's just completely different whereas football is about game management and a constant dialogue and the only upside would be that maybe players would end up showing a bit more respect because they would be shown up, they would be heard swearing at referees and, and you'd maybe see what they get away with, which would probably end up all thinking is unacceptable what they get away with. But, you know, you'd, you, would, you, would, you would end up with referees uh, needing script writers, you know people in a room comedy team saying I need three good gags for the Everton game because seriously yeah, you gen- last you time I was at Goodison like- Park I didn't come up with a single good joke yeah. so mm-hmm. it, it, it would 
No, it's pointless. I've not been on Twitter for weeks. It's, this is a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's two uh, against the no, idea. I agree. It's too, yeah. it's, football's too serious as it is. It's like... I don't. Th- I think th- I would like to see more yellow cards for abusing referees, and I think there's even an argument to be made that players shouldn't. Uh, all players apart from the captain shouldn't really be allowed to speak to the referee. It's infuriating when you watch like a uh, El Clasico and the games are ruined by a swarming of, <laughs> of both teams around the referee at every decision, trying to get players booked. Trying to it kind of it ruins the game. I think mm. I think there's an argument to be made for saying no one except the captain of the team should be allowed to converse with them. Now Gregor's been allowed out of the country. He just references big overseas European football. football. You're not going on any more trips, all right? Just let it go. <laughs> we'll but, but, what... he d- but he does have a point. I mean, I, I was in midweek. I was at the Brentford Leeds game. The number of times that the whistle was blown for a foul or or even for a throw in, for example, when you know it went the other way, and one of the other players would remonstrate in such a way that his arms went up in the air, and he was so frustrated. And you just think this is constant dissent that you're mm. seeing, but nothing's ever done about it. Yeah, I don't think microphones would necessarily help that i mean I'd, no. you know I, I i don't one thing i would I'd, i would wonder about with referees is a kind of chance to explain decisions particularly in this var world yes. um after games alison i don't know whether you know with your qualifications whether that's something that is discussed the idea that referees you know there's a bit more access to referees in terms of them explaining their big calls in big games well like we, you, we can't do it now now we've got var because but there, but there is still weird. that massive, you know, VAR is not black and white. But you could still have. Well, this is why I decided not to overturn that red card. No, nah, that's rabbit hole stuff. I mean, it then becomes. But, but what if? And what if? But the I'll ask Matt Dickinson next time. But the advocate of VAR, exactly. But I see. I did. Did anyone see? There was a documentary. I think it was called "Kill the Referee." Um, it was oh, about. Lovely. It was about. Um, <laughs> There are quite a few documentaries. I'm, I think I've got the right one. It was about the refereeing Euro 2008. Hmm. And they mic'd up a few referees, select referees for that. And the documentary was basically just what they said. And it was almost almost like a horror film because you saw the referees' angst and pain and worry. And there was a thunderstorm coming. And one referee... I think he was Italian, I'm not sure. He was he was getting hysterical and screaming at his assistants, don't effing mention the weather again. Don't oh. effing mention the rain. I don't effing want to know if there's going to be thunder. It was, it was painful, mm. really painful. And anyone who watched that would come away thinking, I don't, I don't want to hear that ever again. No. I don't think we need to know. Because if you have a way of managing 90 minutes of quite intense... Football, and as you said, Natalie, everyone gets upset all the time. Mm. If you have a particular way of managing that and you're going to be made to look foolish or slightly peculiar at how you manage that, because it is about dialogue with their assistants as well. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. that it's a team thing. And we're, we're, we're eavesdropping, really, if we can hear all that. It's gonna, I think it's going to limit, as a referee, what you feel able to say, and that would mean football would degenerate. There is also something to say in that as... There's another alternative way for referees to deal with this, and that is just to completely ignore the players. I'm definitely going to get the guy's name wrong, but the Turkish referee, Sunit Kakir, is it? Yeah, not you, bad. you know, referees in the Champions League and stuff. Mm-hmm. No matter the kind of pandemonium around them, he is the most sort of aloof, <laughs> associate guy in the stadium. He just sort of looks away 
into into the distance, and and the players I think eventually they just think there's no point. Mm. There's no point in me actually mm. trying to engage you in, in exactly. any sort of dialogue. Exactly. I bet dialogue. he's never said you're having one. Huh? I bet he's never said you're having one. I don't know how you say that in Turkish, but I bet he's well, never well, said. Well, yeah. That. So it's another way of work. It's another way of sort of dealing with it. I think. But just lastly on that, would players actually want that, or do you like to have a bit of rapport with a ref? I mean, through history, people do like to have a bit of rapport, but that's because they think there's something to gain. If they think there's nothing to gain, then they won't speak to you. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Okay, we're discussing the race for the top four shortly. But first, Gregor, I want your take on, on what is really an unusual story coming out of Burnley. Ben Gibson has been given permission by Burnley to train with his former club, Middlesbrough. The centre-half left Borough for £15 million to join Burnley back in the summer of 2018, but has actually only played just six times for them, just the one time this season. Gibson was the subject of three failed bids from Watford in January, stayed put then at Turf Moor. His contract doesn't run out at Burnley until the summer of 2022. Burnley have issued a statement confirming the story is true and that he is back up at the North East. He said, they said this, the defender made it clear in the weeks leading up to the end of January transfer window that Ben Gibson wanted to leave Turf Moor to seek regular first team football. Unfortunately for the player, the club did not receive an offer it felt was acceptable and he remains contracted to the club. So, Gregor, it just seems a very bizarre situation that you have a player who obviously is looking to get out of a club. The club haven't been able to accept an offer that they think is acceptable. Um, and yet what they've decided to do is not make him still train with the first team or the under-23s. He can go back to his former club. They still pay his wages. Yeah, it's very strange. I mean, it's it's kind of similar to what we see happen all the time with, you know, Luis Suarez, Van Dijk, Mares, all trying to kind of force through a move. He's obviously done the same thing. But the difference here is he doesn't get a game. They don't really want him. They just haven't obviously see, mm. received a bid that they feel is satisfactory. So the reaction has been quite interesting, I think, because you know, some people are thinking Burnley have been stupid here. They're holding on to a player who they're never playing. Uh, they've been very stubborn about it. And other people are thinking, you know, as they, you always hear, players should just knuckle down and be professional and try and get yourself in the team, even though you spent 18 months trying to do that and, and nothing's happening. But this happens all the time. You know, it's one of the most... This this time of year and in the summer, players trying to force through a move by any means necessary. And maybe he's not he's not done enough. <laughs> How do you do enough? Well, I remember... I remember uh, when I was 17, my first reserve game for Forest at Portman Road against Ipswich Town. And Stern John, remember yeah. the striker? Mm-hmm. I'd never seen anyone toss off a game to such an extent. Is that okay? I've never yeah, I've never seen anyone toss off a game to such an extent. Um I remember we we're going out for the warm up and he was like still sitting there completely in his in his tracksuit and, and you know, messing around, not going out, came out about twenty minutes late, came on, barely moved when he came on off the bench. And I remember thinking, you know, what this is? How can you have a, an attitude like this to football? And then a couple of months later, another player, Tony Vaughan, former Man City player, mm. he used to come. He was 
Spanish tower, the reserve changing rooms. This happens so often. Mm, mm. Uh, and he came in every day and he said, I'm not leaving until I get my wheelbarrow full of cash. So, like, there's always these conflicts. And I remember, again, thinking, how do you... Like, I don't know how you could ever be like this. And fast forward a decade. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> fast forward a decade. And I saw... I, I'd kind of... I wanted to leave a club. And I saw that I was... Which I was one? going to be put on a... Not, no comment. I saw I was going to be put on the bench for the reserves. And I refused to go. I said, went into the manager's office and said, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm in my late 20s. I'm not going to... Uh, Go and sit on the bench. It's an under twenty threes game. In fact, it was worse. Oh, and he said fine. But then the next day, I was told I was I had to train on my own, so I was completely out in the cold. Uh, and it's happened the other way around too, where I, where the club has tried to push me out the door, and I said I'm not going anywhere until you get your you get your, you get your money wheelbarrow of cash. <laughs> so it's like this happens so often, um, and the player. It's like the player always wants to leave on his terms or it, there's always constantly a conflict between between player and club um, but the difference is here he, he, the club don't want him it's I, also I, different at different levels isn't it because I mean this, this isn't meant to be <laughs> insulting anyway but you know Ben Gibson is playing for a Premier League club and has gone to a Championship club you know he, if he wants to play football could he not have you know sought a move in order to do that I mean you know whereas if you get to the lower down the pyramid if you're on a contract for another 18 months at a decent whack, are you not going to be waiting for your wheelbarrow full of cash? Yeah, I mean, it's different when you're lower down, down the pyramid a little bit because you're kind of trying to... The club want, the club want to move you on. You've got to and, pay the mortgage. Yeah, exactly. But the unusual thing with this story is the fact that he's been allowed to go and train with his former club. So it's it's that not... suggests that the 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 relationship's broken down to absolutely. such an extent. But that doesn't that's not normal. No, that you, you know, not. as you said, you either get put put into the reserves or the under twenty threes or even on your own. But to actually suggest the best thing for you to do is actually to go back to your former club. We don't want you anywhere around us. It's, it's just very unusual. And from Burnley's perspective, it's not like they're going to get a better price for the player in the summer now because he's been rotten for even longer mm. uh, with another football club and that's kind of something that a club club can hold over them I just think that fans you know fans would find this, these sort of things distasteful actually to hear but you think you should be you know that's, that's unprofessional but you're, everyone's looking out for their own interests basically but could you also I mean I'm being devil's advocate here and, and say that maybe yes a lot of people will look at this and think this is player power player power going completely the way that we don't want it to be going but actually when Ben Gibson signed for Burnley, he was sold a dream. He was going to be playing in the Premier League. He did actually get an England call-up, didn't he, as yep. a result of it as well. But whatever has happened at Burnley has not happened the way Ben Gibson wanted it to go. Does he not have any right to want to push a move away? Well, this is the thing that is so unique about about football as an industry, is that you know people think, yeah, he's still getting paid every week, uh, handsomely, but his career is deteriorating week by week. Mm. And... Again, he wanted to, to go out and play football and the club has not allowed him to. So it's understandable that players do these things to try and force through force through a move. There's been a big row, hasn't there? Otherwise, yes. they sent him out on loan in January somewhere and said, if You'd you really thought. want to play, we sanction you going out on loan. Well, still, you'll just get they, better why would they and not maybe let come him? back. Why would they not let him? Because there's been a big row. It's still in their interest. The, club, the other club would pay some of his wages. 
Well, what's ever happened? It's this is this move has been sanctioned from the very top because yeah. I, again, I can't imagine a board would go. Well, this makes sense that we're going to keep hold of a player, not send him out on loan and have some of his wages paid for, or transfer him altogether. We'll send him to your former club where we still have to pay your wages. It's bizarre. I think Sean Dates is you kind know, of Sean. He's old old school Sadia. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is a massive weekend ahead in the race for the top four. The fixtures that are coming up sees Wolves take on Leicester on Friday night. Then on Sunday, it's Villa Tottenham, Arsenal, Newcastle. And Monday night sees Chelsea against Manchester United. Now, if you believe the bookmakers, then the top four will be Liverpool, City, Leicester and Chelsea. So that is how it stands currently. Many bookmakers, though, still have Manchester United at shorter odds than Sheffield United for a top four finish. And that is despite Solskjaer's team being three places and four points behind Chris Wilder's fifth placed side. So we thought we'd give it a go ourselves and decide who is going to end up in the top four. So obviously Liverpool, Manchester City are given. Leicester, are they also nailed on for top four, Tom? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it takes serious injuries. Um or something dramatic to happen, you know, a, a big club in Europe, one of Gregor's mates deciding to <laughs> hire Brendan Rodgers or something like that, I, I think Leicester will easily finish third, yeah. OK, are we all in agreement? Leicester are given. Don't think yeah, it's, don't absolutely. Think it'll easily finish third, but <laughs> oh. I'm not saying it's impossible. Oh, I, I don't yeah. like you to sit on the fence, Alison. <laughs> I don't know if this is a Brendan Rodgers thing, though. No, no I, just, I just think if they were to have a minor hiccup, say Vardy out with a, another injury for a few weeks and they dropped a few points I I think they could panic there okay that's I'm not I, I think they could be in a I'm not I wouldn't I wouldn't at this point say it's absolutely certain they wouldn't be a little bit nervy towards the end of the season okay so you're a bit more unsure about Leicester Gregor nailed on nailed yes on good lad you. okay so the question is then if and just for argument's sake Alison, we'll say that Leicester are going to qualify, if you don't mind, for the top four. How far do we go down the table? Let's go down to well, a, a club that has always wanted to be in the top four, has been in the top four for a long, long time, apart from more recent seasons. Arsenal, uh, they're down in 10th. They're 10 points off fourth place Chelsea with uh, 13 games left. Are Arsenal still in the reckoning, Gregor? No. Nope. Gone for you, Alison? I should be worrying about relegation. Whoa, <laughs> that's a different argument altogether, really. They seem only capable of drawing, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an issue. No chance. Not a chance. Oh, what are we, I don't know which argument <laughs> you're talking they're about. Gonna, they're going to finish about 10th, 11th, or 12th. Really? Yeah. Or 13th. Okay. Or 13th. Arteta will have a nice summer and, you know, win the league next year. Oh, that's a joke. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Don't replay that in a... Like, in oh, it's going to come back to haunt you, that one. Okay, so we're ruling out Arsenal in 10th. So it is a question then of just one spot and, what, six teams that are vying to get that final position. There's Chelsea, there's Sheffield United, Tottenham, Everton, Manchester United and Wolves. Who's going to suggest who's going to end up in fourth place? Alisson? Oh, I honestly don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard. I mean, the thing, the difficulty for all of us in picking is that, I mean, they're all rubbish in their own way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very. Yeah, United and Wolves are over, overachieving. They're the rest, overachieving. The rest are, the rest are massively underachieving. I mean, the fact, I honestly was looking at this before. 
Everton are in the reckoning for this. Oh, yeah. Everton. <laughs> like, that is mental, isn't it? That is absolutely ludicrous. Like, new manager, completely squad all over the place. And they're seventh. I mean, yeah. I'm not so... It's, Everton's a no from me if we're doing from process of elimination. I don't know whether Ever- okay, anyone well, thinks five, Everton's got a chance. They're five points off it currently. Well, I, you see, the way... I, I said, I don't know, because there are too many variables... So I was thinking, what is the most important factor? And I think the most important factor is the manager. So which manager is under the most pressure to make sure they get fourth? Which, for which manager is unconscionable that they wouldn't? And that's why, although I would love Chris Wilder to grab fourth, he's, he's not going to be in any bother if he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And the same goes for Nuno at Wolves. He's, no one's going to have a go at Nuno for not getting fourth place while he's also got a Europa League campaign going on. So the the manager for whom it matters the most is Jose Mourinho and he was brought in specifically to make sure they got fourth and it would be hugely embarrassing for him for the club to have got rid of someone that was so beloved as Pochettino was because they actually thought we're spiralling out of control here. He's lost the dressing room. This might put our Champions League in lovely stadium as a marriage gone wrong. We don't want that. So he's got a specific job and it's, it's pride, reputation... You know, I, I just don't. I think it matters to him more than any other manager of, of those six clubs, and so on that basis, I would say Spurs will get it, even though that feels counterintuitive. Um, but I <laughs> no think Lampard, Lamp, Lampard, Lampard. Well, I don't think that'll. I don't think that gives Mourinho the out. Yeah, and that's not enough for him to say. Well, I, I couldn't do it because of Harry Kane not being there. And you also, can't, you Spurs can't literally plays, drag them there, though. Spurs, and they are no, but all Spurs, over the place, Spurs played better with Harry Kane out of the team last season. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an excuse hey, look, at all. You're preaching to the inverted here, isn't but, it? I but Frank only... Lampard, equally, I think he has what no Chelsea manager has had in the Abramovich era, which is a, a, a period of grace because of the... Well, for lots of reasons. We've, we've been over them a hundred times. But I just... Although he'd love to finish fourth, and there is some pressure there, it's not as huge as the pressure on Mourinho, I think. That, 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 that would be my... I think the run-in is important too. Judging by the number of points per game teams have picked up of their remaining opponents, mm-hmm. Ever and Manchester United have the toughest. So I would easily discount both of them. I would discount Manchester United before learning that as well, to be brutally honest. Um, and Chelsea and Sheffield United have got almost identical run-ins in terms of how, how difficult they are. So I, you know, I agree. I think it's between Chelsea, Sheffield United. I can't believe I'm saying it. Sheffield United and Spurs. Um, and I think I think Chelsea have played their best football. It's in the past. I think they were kind of buoyed by these young guys kind of being let loose on the on the Premier League at the start of the season, and it was kind of caught up with them a little bit and very inconsistent. And Tottenham, Tottenham looks like they need a moment of brilliance or a set piece to score a goal every game. Every game. I, I think Sheffield United look in the best shape. Do Sheffield United? need and I say this in the sense of would they actually want to play Champions League football next season bear in mind this is only their first season back in the Premier League see I think they would I think they would hate to play Europa League football yes but Champions League I mean come on oh I, I completely agree but I'm just asking the question and wondering if is that too much oh, of course it is, to yeah. heap on yeah. them of course it is, so, yeah. there's a bit of the matters. Ipswich isn't there it was, it was it Ipswich the last team I mean that's going back a while when yeah, they, they came up and finished thought, yeah. In the you know they got UEFA Cup or something, yeah. and then you know it was all great fun for the neutrals next season. But um, I mean it is it's incredibly difficult because not because there's so many 
good teams, but because they're all, as I said, a bit rubbish in their own way. I mean, I started thinking about it from a point of view of a settled squad and approaching a run-in, and you think about Wolves and Sheffield United as being the only candidates in in that in that guys. I think I take your point about Chelsea that they played their good football, but I think they'll play. They'll have another spell. I think they might get knocked out of the FA Cup by Liverpool. I think they've got Liverpool coming up. Yeah. They've, they've then got Bayern Munich. Liverpool on their relentless march towards the treble. Um, they've then got Bayern Munich. They'll get knocked out there. Then there's a chance to kind of regroup towards the end of the season and a final push. And I think they'll just sneak it. But even in these next few weeks, as you're saying, they've got the cup games, Europe. Uh, Sheffield United have a very easy, winnable run of fixtures in the next yeah. four or five games. Yeah. So they could be... I mean, I'm saying that about the fixtures. One of my colleagues said something to me, which I think is right about this season, that actually the run-ins don't matter because the fixtures haven't really mattered the whole the whole way through this season. <laughs> For these teams, it does. It genuinely doesn't matter. One minute Manchester United beat a team near the bottom, next minute they get beaten by them. You know, all the way up to Manchester City, like it, ludicrous results have been happening. I would give it to Chelsea. Just. So what do we think about that? That says about the state of the Premier League this season. I think it says that teams like Chelsea and Tottenham and Manchester United and Arsenal have been chasing something that is so beyond what what they're capable of, and it's caused a you know serious detrimental effect to their squad and their chances that they're now going up against well-drilled, well-organised teams with a clear way of playing like Sheffield United and Wolves, and they're ending up competing with them. So it's blurred those lines. Massively, in my opinion. That's that's the key point, I think. What it says about the Premier League is that uh, if you haven't got a very clear system of play, yeah. then you're, you're going to struggle. You're going to yeah. wobble every, yeah. other, every other week. You see it all the way down, don't you? I mean, there's lots said about Newcastle at the minute, but in terms of well, aren't they horrible the way they play? But they'll probably survive. So that's a clear way of surviving in the Premier League. You know, Sheffield United and Wolves have got a clear way of punching above their weight and ending up in the top half of the table. Liverpool have got a clear way of going unbeaten and being one of the best teams to you know it's a clear system these other teams that should be competing for the top four don't have a clear system don't have a clear um, way of playing no I would I would struggle to say in one sentence what Chelsea's style is this season it's not a clear system no but I think for example I think there's more of a kind of collective feel they've got a bit more of that if we call it the wilder factor that sounds really cringe but I'm going with it anyway um, they've got a bit more of that than Manchester United Tottenham have so that's why I'd, I'd you know put them above them and say that with the quality of players that they've got so Zendi picked a fourth place team well, this yeah. is what I'm ask. <laughs> Chelsea well, for Chelsea. different reasons yeah, Alison you said Tottenham Tom's gone for Chelsea Gregor you complete it please Sheffield United he's gone for. He um, has, in front of said. Yeah, so what? I'm going yeah. Sheffield United. Yeah. Why not? Can we keep that clip as well? <laughs> as well as keeping my ludicrous statements. I'd love we? it to be Sheffield United. That's an amazing story. It would be amazing. It, it would, would be, be an amazing. interesting story. Talking of interesting stories, finally, coming out of Europe this week, Holland and Belgium could merge their football leagues in what would be a radical move to generate more TV revenue. Discussions are ongoing to create an 18-team top flight across both countries. So it kind of got us thinking about football mergers in general. And if you could merge two things from football, what would they be? For example, 
well, forgive me for saying this, you could merge <laughs> Arsenal and Spurs to have one North London side that promises much but falls away at the end of the season. Our producer, Max, <laughs> went for this one. What about merging me with Gregor for what he says, and this is in your words, Max, not mine, a top-notch broadcaster that can also do a job at Sendai. I love how that has referenced nothing that I currently do. Yeah. Great. <laughs> I know. Oh. Your best days are behind oh, you, God, Gregor. <laughs> so let's, let's go with your football merger suggestions. Tom. Uh, the first one uh, for ease of um, arguments on this podcast would be to merge uh, James Madison and Jack Grealish <laughs> so that we stop having that argument about who gets in the England squad. Okay, they can both yes. get in in one brilliant modern-day all-encompassing midfielder. <laughs> um, I would also merge uh, Sheffield United and Manchester City so that there'll be one decent team to compete against Liverpool next season. <laughs> um, and on a more serious note, I would, again, shamelessly getting in a Lincoln mention, for the lower leagues, uh, I would merge uh, slash scrap lots of the different smaller cup competitions in in with the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, to make one really serious, with money behind it, with decent prize money, mm-hmm. with a decent reason to compete for teams in the Championship, League One, League Two, and bring in the National League as well for a cup competition that was focused on those teams. And I mean, if you know, if Pep and the big boys don't want to be interested in it, then we can get rid of the top six so i bring in a merged a cup competition with those with with the focus being on the football league teams and the national league to give them something to aspire to what would it be called uh not for you pep cup. nice i like that <laughs> not for you pep cup and jürgen too anti-clop cup whatever you want fine okay i like them good three uh, merger suggestions alison i think we need to merge Everton and Tranmere Rovers, so Ooh. there's a competitive Merseyside derby. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> oh god, we are we're going to take a kick. No, into this well, no, too. I think I find Alison will. <laughs> no, you had your bit about Tottenham and Arsenal. That was, uh, you do know you I said that Max, producer Max, came up with all these things. Um, oh wow, Everton and Tram. And on a more serious note, the the, the most logical thing to merge. And it makes sense in every single way except emotionally, and it will never happen. And I love that fact is the merging of stadiums. Oh, you've killed me, Martin. <laughs> so, oh. really. Just, just come back from the San Siro. <laughs> <laughs> I had the perfect line up here. I was thinking, did so, you know that I'd been to the San Siro? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to mention it, actually. But, um, you know, Everton are spending years getting the money together for their, their new. Dockside Stadium, and really, really, it should be a, a, a beefed-up uh, Anfield Stroke Goodison merger, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it really? Where you turn the lights blue one week and they turn them red the next week, and there are ways of doing it. As I'm sure Gregor knows because he's been to countries yeah, yeah, where they do right, this. Yeah. <laughs> but this will never ever happen in England. And I love the fact that we're possessive as fans of our ground and we do not want to share it no matter how many gimmicks you can apply to make it feel like it belongs to you for the night so it's a sort of anti-merger merger story i like it why why then gregor are you so in favor of that because you're uh, when i was in the sense you're in no doubt you're in no doubt whatsoever as to who the home team is and they do they do it very well how yeah. how do they do it? I've always been I have always been fascinated by. It. Have that. you not been allowed to go? I've to not the been. Sun no, Zero. no one sends no, no, me to go, the Sensei. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Part of that was the lightning and stuff, but there was you know, these 
this is unique to Italy, but the huge kind of uh, choreography beforehand. Uh, on one on one side, they depicted uh, the patron saint of 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 uh, Milan, and it was kind of that was an Inter Milan thing. And then there was another side was was AC Milan's doing theirs, but it, it was just it was no doubt who was the home team. And part of it's the ticket ticket allocation in a derby, but every other week, and if it's a stadium that's built for two teams, not just for one, you know, someone's just kind of jumping on board, then it would feel like the stadium a, a home for two. Two teams, it would, but it would have to be teams of the same size, you know. Like there's Dundee United and Dundee in Scotland are literally on the other side of a street, <laughs> and that's just nonsense. And they're similar sized clubs, you know. Things like Notts County, Nottingham Forest, separated by a river. I'm not sure that would work because they're different size, different history, and then obvious ones like you know Celtic and Rangers. There would be a war. So, but I think the logically speaking. It should happen more, and actually, probably a little bit outside of the elite more as well. If there's two teams in a town, then why not? What if you've got, I don't know, four teams in West London? They can't all share a stadium. No, but two of them could. <laughs> That's not going to happen. We're keeping our ground, thank you. Okay. Well, you're not, <laughs> you're not, are you? You're not keeping well, we your are. ground. You're getting we a new are. fancy one. We're getting a new one, <laughs> and we don't want anyone else apart from rugby. They can play at our ground because they fine. give you money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. No, it's not. Um, okay, some good ideas. That is uh, very interesting. Thank you very much. That is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and Tom Clark. Remember, you can subscribe to the Times and the Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search the Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday, so enjoy your weekend. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.